Welcome to a pre-Christmas edition of Backlash Podcast. We uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in with us on a week-to-week basis. I know it's been uh, it's been another long, challenging year. Hopefully, everybody had a great season. Uh, we're kind of wrapping this one up, but we will have one more, you know, this year. But, anyways, we you know we hope everybody had a great season on the water, and you know we hope everybody has an enjoyable holiday season and a merry Christmas. And this week, we're going to talk to Kyle Guerin, who fishes out of Georgian Bay in Canada. Definitely big water, big fish. And so that's what's on the episode this week. And of course, as always, I'm joined by Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Brad, how are you this week? Doing good, Jeff. You know, it's that time of the year where we're really getting busy preparing for shows. And hey, here we are. We're doing another podcast. Yeah, and we're a week early. Our other episode with Doug Wagner came out today, and so we're a week ahead, Brad. Something's seriously wrong with us. Well, again, it's that time of the year, and we have a little available time, so let's get ahead of schedule. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, you talked about shows, Brad. Guess what? I still haven't done anything. Well, I guess I can't say the same. We've been preparing for two, three weeks already, and... uh, (laughs) It's never easy because this is the time of the year where we're actually super, super busy, you know, fulfilling a bunch of spring orders, if you will. The box stores are pretty demanding when it comes to this time of the year. They want the orders, you know, put out the beginning of the first of the year. And so we're like, bang, bang, bang. We're trying to get all these orders put together. And at the same time, we're also working on the show stuff. So it's kind of a hectic time of the year, but guess what? Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, that's for sure. Hectic is going to be the word. So I think today is like the 15th of December, and so I have roughly three weeks to get ready for shows. So uh, definitely going to be a hectic a hectic race to the finish, but usually it doesn't matter what how early we start. It's a hectic race to the finish regardless. Whatever. It's always, It's always the same, right? Three weeks, um, you might have three weeks, but I'm guessing as of today, when we record this, I have three weeks from the day that I'm going to leave my premise, you know? Usually I leave a Wednesday before the Chicago show, so I will be leaving, I guess, uh, what would that be, 21 days from now, I will be on the road heading my way to Chicago. It's honestly kind of ridiculous. It's almost going to be kind of like... Like, I'll be sort of a little bit nervous almost just, you know, getting ready to do a show to see if we can actually do it again. It's been so long. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, if you think about it, we literally, um, what was it? It'll be two years since we were in Chicago. Um, We missed last year. Mm -hmm. We missed Milwaukee. We missed Minnesota for two years. But we were in Chicago two years ago. It's hard to believe that it's been that long. I look forward to the show. At the same time, you know, not having shows last year was kind of an easy little road, if you will. Yeah, it was easier, but we were still really busy. I mean, I can't complain at all about the way that worked out last winter. I thought we'd be slow. I bought a bunch of ice fishing stuff, figuring I was going to be on the ice a lot, and I wasn't. I'm not complaining, but, you know, I I thought no shows, we'd be slow, and definitely that wasn't the case. Um, and again, you know, I mean, we say it all the time. We thank our customers for that. It, it's all of you that listen, that shop with us, that make all that happen and keep us busy. And we're very thankful. All true, Jeff. Absolutely. Without them, we wouldn't have any of it. So thank you to our customers, both Team Rhino and Muskie Mayhem. Yeah, like I said, plain and simple, it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you. 100%. And speaking of Team Rhino and Muskie Mayhem Tackle, if you have neglected your the anglers on your Christmas list, there's still time. There's probably not time for us to ship you a gift. But if you go to TeamRhinoOutdoors.com or MuskieMayhemTackle.com, both of us have an e-gift card uh, set up on our website. You can punch it up whatever you know monetary number you're looking for i think there's a bunch of preset values that we have in there i'm assuming it's similar on musky mayhem tackles website and you can check out right there and it will either you can have an email to you or if you enter in the email address for the order for the person that you'd like it to get emailed to you can email it right to them 
And if you get it to you, you can forward it to them or you can print it off. There's a very easy printer-friendly option. And so if you are, have delayed and you need a gift card for the angler on your list, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com and MuskyMayhemTackle.com. In other news, I, um, I finally fired up the uh, Team Rhino Outdoors Muskie Fishing Podcast. So if you follow this podcast and you want check out our other podcasts it's a solo deal i do no brad there although i'll probably have brad on here you know in the future talking hopefully about a new musky mayhem product if not i know we never talked about some of his other products on that website from the new ones from this past you know this past uh year i just say website podcast anyways so check out team rhino outdoors musky fishing podcast it's mostly gear related to talk to manufacturers about stuff and our last episode was, or I should say, it, the first episode I did was talking about jig rippers, and I think hopefully I'll have a new episode out that came out right before this episode, and we're going to talk to Bill uh, about 14-inch slammer. Brad, that'd probably be a cool bait to add to your repertoire for next season, 14-inch slammer. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bill over the years has provided me a ton of different baits, and, you know, slammer products always seem to slam the fish that's for sure he uh he definitely knows how to catch fish with his product and if you're not putting any of those slammer products in your box you're you're basically losing out that's for sure i mean he has a product that uh has always produced big muskies yeah i think this new one's pretty cool brad definitely going to need to get you a couple of them because they're It'll fit your profile stuff. I know what you do over there. I think it's going to work out well for you. Yeah, I'm all about big baits. I mean, uh, years ago, there was a prototype that that he was putting together. I think it was a 15 or 16-inch bait. And I, I know I was lucky enough to get two, and I think a few other people that I know got a couple baits. But honestly, he never showed it to the public. And the first outing with it, I think we put a 50, 51 in the boat, something like that. And he never came out with that particular product, but this is kind of the spawn of that product, if you will, being the 14 inch. Yep, absolutely. So Brad, what else is going on with Muskie Mayhem Tackle? If people want to check out your stuff, where do they go to do that? Well, I'll tell you what, it's real simple. It's muskymayhemtackle.com. You can check out our website there. You can order product right there. You can check out our YouTube channel, which we will be putting new uh, pro staff profiles out right after the first of the year. They will start showing up. And then uh, the next is Instagram as well as Facebook. So check us out. We will be in Chicago. We'll be in Milwaukee. We'll be in Minnesota show. We'd love to see you in our booth. We'd love to talk to you. Send us the pics of different fish that you caught on our product. We're always looking to to hear from our uh, customers that's for sure and we appreciate all of them sounds good brad i think we're going to get on the uh, phone with kyle and let's talk about georgian bay that sounds like a plan jeff all right our guest today is kyle garen slobland flicks slobland charters and he fishes primarily on georgian bay but enough about you know me introducing him kyle thanks for coming on the podcast you know it's your first time on why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about everything that you have going on? What got you into musky fishing? Just give you a you know background, and then you know we'll talk about the waters that you fish. Uh, okay, well, yeah. First of all, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I really appreciate appreciate the the invite for sure. I listen to you guys all the time, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, I fish Georgian Bay. I guide on Georgian Bay. I also fish Lake Nipissing. Uh, also guide there. Uh, a little bit throughout the year, but my I live about ten minutes from Port Severn, which is like the most southern portion of Georgian Bay. Also, probably one of the most wide wide open areas. But yeah, I've been my parents and their parents actually were born and raised on Georgian Bay, so I wasn't. But I always had family living on on the water, so I basically have been fishing. I'm forty two in a couple days here, so. I've basically been fishing it for about 40 years. Um, Muskie fishing for 25-ish. I actually started guiding when I was like 18, 19 on uh, the uh, more northern portion of Georgian Bay and Upper French River. And then once I went to school, I kind of got away from that. And then, you know, I, I was always avid. I've been avid fisherman. I spent all my summers 
on the Magnetolon River, which is on the northern portion of Georgian Bay, because that's where my family was from. And then I'd say probably about eight years ago or so, I started uh, renting cabins on Lake Nipissing for about two months at a time. So when I when I did weather situations, I would just go up there and fish the entire time, and then I I would guide, you know, here and there when I didn't have boat partners. And then last year, because I moved closer to Georgian Bay uh, two or three years ago, I just I decided to pull the trigger on uh, doing more of a full time guiding business here. So uh, I don't well, it's not full full time. I do about 15, 14, 15 days a month throughout our season. So. I try and key in mostly on on the moon phases because Georgian Bay, I don't know for your listeners, those who haven't fished it, it is probably the most difficult body of water to navigate and to fish on the planet by far. Most dynamic fishery there is. Like I haven't fished everywhere, but I've fished a lot of places and nothing even comes close to what Georgian Bay has to offer. It's almost like mind boggling. Yeah, it's like just to give you an idea. It's, it's we we use kilometers, but I switched this to miles. I, I did a little research. It's the surface area is fifty eight hundred square miles. It's one hundred and twenty miles long, and has thirty thousand plus islands, plus you know numerous at least a dozen or more rivers that come in. I never actually really counted, but and then I don't know how many inlets. There's got to be twenty or thirty different inlets minimum, and then everything in between is just. It's, it almost gives me anxiety when I look at maps. That's how crazy it is. And I've been fishing here my whole life. So, um, yeah, and massive fish, except, exceptional growth rates. I was uh, I messaged you guys yesterday. We, we were out on the water. It was actually, uh, I'm not going to give the whole story now. Maybe we'll get into it later. But I got a chance to fish with some buddies who are all guides as well. We, we only get together maybe two or three days a year. And uh, we had an opening yesterday and we got out and we got, a 46 pounder and a 48 pounder collegiate fish what we call them so these fish they don't live in the inlets year round they come in strictly to spawn so your window of opportunity to, to access these fish is super small and uh so that's another cool thing about georgian bay there's multiple types of fish you got residential fish that use structure you got and i'm when i talk about residential i'm talking about within each inlet so like i'm in port severn I've got residential fish that live there all year that use structure. And then there's fish that live there all year that don't use structure at all. And like, it's like 70 feet deep in spots. So, and it's, I don't know the exact distance across, but it's a good, it's a big chunk of water. So a lot of those fish are, aren't accessible throughout the year either because they never touch structure and like, it's just impossible to target them. So we got those coming in or coming shallower in the fall months too. So you got, Fall seems to be the best to, to encounter those those super super giant fish. Like we had the that sixty pounder here in two thousand. It was only seventeen years old. Like insane, insane growth rates. And those two we got yesterday, like they look like babies. Like their heads are tiny, and then they just they just blow it out into footballs. Like they're these, these you know upper 40, 50 pound class fish on Georgian Bay are, are essentially adolescents, the pelagic ones. Like the ones that the residential ones don't have the same growth rate. You can tell their heads are bigger. They don't carry as much weight. And that's mostly what I get in the summer when I'm trying to put people on fish. But uh, yeah, it's nice to get uh, get your hands on some of the big ones like we did yesterday. Other than that, yeah, I do. Uh, I also do YouTube. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Slobland Flicks. Don't let your kids watch it until they're like 18. <laughs> It's uh, R-rated for the most part, as far as language goes. And then, yeah, uh, like Jeff mentioned, Swabland Charters. You can get that link off the Swabland Flicks as well. And then we also have uh, an apparel line that you can also get from SwablandFlicks.com. You guys have any questions about Georgian Bay and how, like, how I'm fishing it, or where you need to go next is basically uh, sharing how people can get a hold of you. If anyone's interested in coming up and and getting in the boat with me, um, first of all, I, I learned one thing this year at being my first uh, full season of guiding. I was doing day trips, but you know, I kind I kind of relate it to going moose hunting for one day. Like no one does that, and your odds of catching 
you know, most people that come out with me want their personal best. Like Georgia Day is known for absolute giant, you know, world record potential. So this year I'm, I'm switching it up to a two or three day minimum. So my plan is, like I said earlier, I'm fishing mostly on moon phases or almost like exclusively on moon phases. So I'd, I'd like to break it up to maybe two different hunts, like three, four day hunts. So I'd have two groups for each moon phase kind of thing just because it is so difficult and then that way it allows me to uh to target those bigger pelagic fish after maybe the first day and we've you know we've got out and caught a couple of decent resident you know resident fish then i can swing for the fences after that essentially whereas with one day it's it's hard for me to swing for the fences because people want to get fish in the boat and it's like well you want the biggest fish of your life or you want like possibly the biggest fish of your life or to just catch a fish. So, but yeah, you can, that, that being said, yeah, you can, uh, bloblandcharters.com. Anyone can get a hold of me. I answer my phone all the time. 905-460-4512. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's my plan for next year. Trying to get moose hunts in instead of one day, uh, potential at a big fish, but maybe not the biggest fish of your life. The beauty of the whole deal, Kyle, is Georgian can provide the largest fish. I mean, let's talk about some of those big fish that have been caught up there. Well, like I mentioned earlier, like to me, one of the more legit 60-pounders ever caught was caught actually in my home water. I also, like Port Severn is uh, typically where I fish most of the year, but I also venture up into Honey Harbor, and that's where that fish was caught. That's just the next inlet up. I myself caught, I don't know, at least half a dozen fish in the 50 pound, 50 pound class range. Yeah, we get the one we got yesterday was 48 pounds, you know, one meal away from 50 pounds. So, and then like uh, these pelagic fish, just I lose sleep over them because they, they just don't make sense. Like it's almost like they're a different species of fish. They almost act like salmon for most of their lives. You know, a lot of them may not even come shallow other than the, other than, than the spawn. Like those two fish we got yesterday were 35 feet deep. So the potential is insane. I don't know what these 60 pound fish are doing for whatever reason, no one's catching them, but they are 100% there. Like there's no doubt in my mind that there's 65 pound fish, a lot of them in Georgian Bay. They're just, you know, 60 pounders don't act like 50 pounders, just like 50 pounders don't act like 30 pounders. On top of that is there's not a lot of pressure here. Like other than this, I, I probably fished the most heavily pressured area, the south end. But once you get beyond the south end, it's like, when I say pressured, if I go out and see four other musky boats, it kind of pisses me off. <laughs> you go north of that, you might not even see another boat for like a couple of days fishing. So it's, uh, it's completely untapped and you, you need, I would say five lifetimes to even get a grasp of fully of what's going on across the entire portion of Georgia Bay. And, and we're only fishing like East coast, right? So pretty much 190 miles of the East coast is where all the good musky uh, fishing areas are and structure. The rest of it's kind of like salmon water, but there's the salmon guys are getting fished down 80 feet down rigging too. So like, I don't know. It's it's hard to wrap your head around this place. That's what makes it fun, though. Like you really can't ever figure it out completely. Like one day you're on them, maybe two days your pattern will last, and then boom, it's toast. And you got to start from from scratch again. That's why, again, why I want to I want to move my guiding to multiple days. Because sometimes you, you you just can't get a grasp of what's going on in one day. What is the deepest water in Georgian Bay? On the inlet, Perry Sound's probably the deepest. I think it's close to like 400 feet. Uh, out in the middle, actually, I have a map here. I think it gets to around mid-500s in the middle of Georgia Bay. But most of the inlets, like my inlet, is about, tops out about 70. Honey Harbor is about 110. But there are some that, like Shawanaga Inlet, only gets to about 50. And then there's a lot of river systems, like the French River comes in on the north end. A lot of that's not even charted. And Moon River, you're into mid-hundreds in there as well, up to the back end where it's real shallow. 
So and you, you, you've got like multiple stages to each inlet as well, which is also mind boggling because you got, you know, the rivers come in, so you got stained, you know, more mesotrophic water. And then as you move out, it becomes more and more oligotrophic. Like the water kind of mixes on the second stage. And sometimes there's like a third stage. So the, the second and third would be like your, your middle sections. And then there's the outer section, which is like drinking water clear. And that's where I like to fish for in the summertime for like the absolute giants. Like that's where the collegiate fish are spending their time, like on the outer skirts of the Eastern shoreline where the structure stops. So you'd be like on average, Oh, it's hard to say like maybe five miles offshore, four miles offshore. And that's just to the mouth of the inlet. Then you got another like four or five up to 10 miles into the back, back of some of these inlets. So, it's, it really is never ending. It's hard to explain until you get up here. Like there, I, I, like I said, I've traveled a lot. I've been to a lot of bodies of water. And although Georgian Bay is by far the hardest place I've ever fished, it just keeps you coming back because there's something about it. Like you just fall in love with the scenery, number one. And then when, when it does give you a fish, the average, like my average fish this year is like 47 inches. So when it does give you a fish, it, it's usually a good one. Yeah, being being super tough, it it uh, it can you know make your year one fish out here. And I had a lot of like a lot of PBs this year. Almost, I'd say at least half the people in my boat this year caught their, their biggest fish. So it's good that way. Well, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. That's for sure, Kyle. So let's talk about the structure. I mean, how much casting versus trolling are you doing? If it was just me and my buddies fishing, probably fifty fifty. I base when I'm guiding, I base it a lot on the ability of the fishermen. So, you know, but I'm guiding, I always say it's not, not teaching a musky school. I will like give you pointers and stuff if you're not a good caster, but it's hard enough. I'm going to be like, okay, you're out catching a fish. And I sat, I sat down a lot of people this year. I'm like, as you're casting, oh, it's pretty good. We're good. And then we stand up and I go around the structure and I'm like, no put the rods down like immediately. Sorry. I don't want to be a dick, but we want to catch fish here. And you know, it's my job to put you on fish. So let me do the work and then I'll troll. So I'd say guiding, I'd probably troll 70% of the time. If I get a good caster, it's like a dream come true. Cause I, I really myself enjoy casting. A lot of my biggest fish have come casting. We're casting shallow weeds. We're casting as the season progresses, big rubber, you know, we're putting the boat in like 18, 20 feet, casting up into like 14 to 16 feet on the outer edges of these, of these higher humps. And then all throughout the summer, like I'll sometimes I'll base down 30 feet in the summer driving over like structure on Georgia Bay can be 45 feet deep surrounded by 120 feet. And we're putting baits down 30, 35 feet to encounter these fish. But I've had fish come up that I've marked down 30 feet and I got a bait down eight feet and it comes up and eats it. Like you mark it, both back of the rod and the back of the Those collegiate fish don't see a lot of lures at all. Like 20 feet, 30 feet, nothing for, for a big fish to come up to, right? So yeah, we're doing a bit of everything. Like it just depends on the day and I've been out for three or four days and I have a pattern. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to beat that pattern until it doesn't produce anymore and then move on. If the bite's good, a lot of times I'll go check out areas that I've caught big fish on years prior just to see if maybe I can get into a big one. Cause a lot of times they're here, like these deeper spots in the blue water, I'll catch a fish one year and then I won't catch a fish again on it for four or five years. If you're getting a 45 pounder on a spot, you keep checking and checking and checking until it goes off. Like those two fish we got yesterday between me and my buddy that lives on the water up here, he lives in honey Harbor. We probably fished that spot 20 times each this fall. I didn't get a, get a single fish. And then yesterday we got two upper 40 pounders in 10 minutes. That's just seasonal movement. These, these fish moving around and trying to time it. Timing is everything. And we, I, I move fast. Like I've listened to some of your podcasts. You guys talk about trolling speeds and stuff. Like my minimum speed in the summer is five miles an hour. There's just too much to cover. It, it, the structure is absolutely endless and you just you just drive 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 until you find something and a lot of stuff i cast is in areas where i've caught fish trolling first like I, I i won't just pull up to a spot and start bombing cast when there's 
you know, 20,000 other spots around it that look exactly the same. I, I have to have caught a fish in and around it before I start casting. And we're using like bucktails a lot. If I, if I get a good bucktail bite, I'm beating the piss out of that because the hooking percentage is the best by far, especially when I'm guiding. But uh, bucktails, I don't use topwater as much just because the hooking percentage and the amount of fish I encounter, I just, I don't even bother. Bought a big rubber. I'm, I'm a huge fan of big rubber, bulldogs, reduces, uh, tubes. I, one of the fish we got yesterday was on a, on a red October tube. Other than that, yeah, when I'm trolling deep, I, I'm using big crankbaits, periwinkles, blue water baits as a staple. I got my high baits. I'm using uh, believers, stalkers, bucktails. I'm trolling bucktails sometimes over like 30 feet of water. No problem. Fish will come up and eat those. It, it's just a game of, of elimination out here more than anything. Again, why I want to go to the three, three, two or three day minimum guiding because it just allows me to eliminate options until finally we figure out what's going on and, and try and duplicate that. Well, that makes sense for sure. You know, you, you're doing the trolling game quite a bit, the way it sounds. Um, you're talking about five miles an hour. Is there times when you do slow down, Kyle, or is it just go, 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 go? You know, I mean, is that the rhythm? Yeah, I'll, def- I'll slow down a little bit, like, in the evenings, for sure, I slow down at least a mile an hour like, as it gets into the dark. I do a lot of night fishing, too, when I can. So I'm, I'm usually, during summer peak, going about three, five, four in the evenings, using a lot of jointed baits. Jointed plow is actually, like, one of the deadliest baits for me out here. But I'll also run, like, smaller jointed perch baits and stuff like that. But I just, as the season progresses, I'll start to slow down, like, once the water gets into like the low sixties, I'll drop down to like four or five consistently. I, I, I won't really go five miles an hour after that. And then, you know, as we get into the fifties, I'll, I'll be down into like three. And then now if I'm trolling, you know, our water's like, well, the season's over today, but if I could fish, I'll be doing like two, 1.8, which is like super painful. <laughs> Yesterday we were, we were casting and jigging, doing the boat was moving like 0.5. So we, all day, we had like eight hours. I think we fished three spots, three small spots. That's one thing I'd like to do this time is like narrow it right down to areas where, you know, like it's tough. It takes years to find out where these fish are late season. Like Georgian Bay gets real tough once the water gets into the forties. We, I, I had a really good early November. The water's in like the 48 degree range. And then once it got to like 46, 45, I completely lost them. Like for half the month of November, I didn't catch a single fish. And I have buddies that live up here too, and no one was catching anything. Like, we're just like, where do they go? Like, they completely vanished. And then we froze up for almost two weeks leading up to a couple of days ago. We had like a massive warm front come in and like 100 kilometer an hour winds, and it just broke up our ramps, and we were able to get out yesterday, which was. It's not normal to get out here that late on the southern portions. You usually got to get up into like river systems because we don't have a lot of current down south here. But two weeks ago, I was up north. I was actually on the magnetic one. We were breaking ice up there two weeks ago, and there's a decent amount of current there. So I thought I thought the game was over, but yeah, we got that window, and yesterday was like epic. Kyle, I guess you know one of the things that you talked about earlier was Nipissing versus Georgian Bay. How far away is Nipissing from you? Well, I'm on the south end, so probably the furthest away. And it's about two and a half hours for me to get to the south bay on Lake Nipissing. But to get over to like where the, where the French River comes out of Lake Nipissing, it's like closer to four hours for me. So like Lake Nipissing is a huge lake in itself and has uh, unbelievable numbers, really. Like it's, it's, it's a great lake. I love that lake. But the downside is it is, probably the most dangerous body of water I've ever, I've ever been on. Like I've never, I've never been so scared on any other body of water as I have been on, on Lake Medicine. Like I've almost sunk my, sunk my boat there multiple times because there's nowhere to hide. At least on Georgian Bay, that's the beautiful thing about it too. There's so many, like I was saying before, there's so many stages within each inlet. So you can always, you can always fish somewhere. Like I got stuck a lot of days in Honey Harbor because Port Severn was blowing so hard this year. It's kind of a saving grace in that way. The fishing in Honey Harbor is a little tougher. It's it's more uh, granite, a lot less weed. 
in Severn Sound. I got a lot of weed weed lines and stuff like that that I can fish. That it seems to hold more more fish. Like it seems to have a, a better population of fish than areas that are that are more granite. But typically, yeah, fishing around the river systems and that's always good on on the day. The, the muskies don't go far from the rivers, except those pelagic fish. They they're they're salmon. More, more. They act like salmon more so than uh, than a muskie does. Let's dive more into Sorry? the pelagic fish that you're talking about. They're like ghosts. Like, uh, like I said before, they're almost like a different species from your fish that live within, like the residential fish. Um, and you, and you know when you catch them because they're, they're like blonde, super blonde, not a mark on them. They look like footballs. Sometimes you'll get some out there with, like, the one we got yesterday had some tiger striping, which to me means it might have been using, like, sand and stuff like that. But throughout the summer when I'm fishing structured fish, residential structured fish, I'm not getting these these white-looking fish. Like, they're just not there. It's usually only this time of year when they start coming into the inlets. You got you to gotta be offshore during the summer to even have a, a hope and hell of contacting one of them. You know, they're following around. Our, our baits, you know, we got alewives, smelt out here are huge, tons of cisco. We actually have a, a ton of white perch. Uh, I've never really seen them anywhere else, but up here in Honey Harbor, like they're just stacked. We, that's almost like the main forage in Honey Harbor is white perch. We got whitefish, crappie, striped bass. Gobies now is becoming a, a main staple. Like gobies got in here, I don't know how many years ago, but they all they were, they were real small, like almost the size of like a, a snap wrap you know, those ice fishing jigs. We would use those because everything's eating them, right? Everything's eating the gobies. The walleye are eating them too. So we would use the snap jigs to mimic gobies, catch cute. The walleyes out here are gigantic as well. You know, 12, 13 pound walleye. And the odd time we get like a 54 inch muskie eating a snap wrap. They're eating gobies, but now the gobies, you know, over the last 10 years, they're almost the size of a perch. So it's like, and they're, probably the easiest thing for a fish to eat they can't like they, they don't have like a swim bladder so they can't get up off bottom all they can do is kind of like bounce on bottom so the fish just has to you know basically open its mouth and swim through a school those things i think that's what those fish were eating yesterday that we got so most of my baits yeah i'm trying to make like, uh, the color to me out here is probably the last thing i'm worried about like i've caught them on everything but i use a lot of natural colors in the, in the clearer water and then when I get back into like the river systems and that I'll, I'll, I'll use more more rattles more joiner baits and brighter colors so Kyle let's talk a little bit about I mean you, you obviously do a bunch of trolling you do a bunch of casting let's talk a little bit about trolling for I mean the majority of our listeners I've said this on a podcast a bazillion times are from Illinois Wisconsin Minnesota so let's just say on a typical day you know you're finding fish in about 30 feet of water what would your thought process be on there? Are you marking these fish on on the locator, or are you just you know going off of memories? Like maybe try to give some information to some guys that are just looking to expand their horizon for the next season. I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're mar- I'm marking fish for sure. Typically, when I'm in like thirty feet of water, a lot of, a lot of the bigger fish will be right on bottom or within a foot of bottom. So I'm I always always have a bait about a foot off bottom and a lot of times like in the granite areas where I can hit bottom, I'm smashing bottom with my baits down 30 feet and just riding over, over top, like with metal lip baits, like periwinkles and stuff like that. Georgian Bay is essentially a great lake yet. We're only allowed one rod per guy. So it makes it a hard thing, even more difficult. You know, I like to get at least three guys in the boat when possible. And I'm always, I'm staggering my baits. So like my deep baits are usually two to one. So I can get down up to about 20 feet anyway. I'm getting down, you know, 40, 45 feet. I'll be down 20 feet with some of my deep diving baits. And then my next bait will be in midwater column. And then my third bait will be in like the top 10 feet if I'm trolling over 30 feet of water. And then, you know, if a rod goes off, then it's a deep one. I'll put a second rod deep as well. And then maybe have one midwater column and get rid of that high line. The way I approach a structure always is I start from outside in. So, you know, if it bottoms out at 30 feet, I'll start 30 feet with a bait down just up off bottom and then stagger like I was talking about, do, do a pass around it and then wind in to say 20 feet, bring the bait up, have a bait down 19, you know, 12, 
13 and then one down like eight, do that, wind into the third stage and do the same thing. Have a bait just off, up off bottom and then finally fish the tops. And tops I'm usually using like, sometimes I'll short line like a 12 inch deep crankbait, leader out, just right beside the boat and then have like a bucktail out and believers are just like money out here. I'll short line a believer like 25 feet behind the boat. It's only down like six, seven feet. But if, I, if we're fishing like heavy weed cover, I'm just trolling blades over top of that stuff. And then, yeah, whatever whatever goes off, I just try and duplicate it until it stops working. Like once their water gets into the into the low 60s, a lot of these fish that were shallow and a lot that were deep kind of converge on these edges. So that's nice. It makes it a little easier. Like I had a couple of weeks there in October this year. Which normally was September where we get our first cool down, but this weather's so screwed up now that it was like summer conditions in late September out here. In October, I uh, yeah, I beat the piss out of them between like twelve and six feet. I would say, you know, I'll troll over two feet of water and catch fish out here. Kind of like an Ohio tactic. Yeah, I heard I heard your your podcast there the other day. Forget the you know, Ohio guide on there. He was talking about shirtline trolling. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you yeah. do much of that stuff too, or not? Yeah, like I was saying, like I'll, I'll put, you know, 12, 13 inch deep diving baits out, just leader out, raw tip out of the water, like I can see the bait. And I'll put, sometimes, if I'm going over like heavy weed cover and I can't run a crankbait through it, I'll put, I'll put out two blades and then one in the prop wash, three, four feet out. I'm using wire line a lot too. Even, even on my shallow baits with three feet out, sometimes that wire line just is the ticket some days that's the only rod that goes off but especially for getting my baits deeper like i find on average when you're going five miles an hour uh you're you're saving about 10 feet of line to get the same depth with your baits on average it helps in that way because better boat control our structures are like super dynamic like there's so many ins and outs the other thing i want to talk about is our our mapping out here is like atrocious <laughs> like i know you guys have your lakes are mapped real well on like the chips, right? Aren't they? For the most part. Yeah, I would say a lot of them are, you know, with Brad for sure, because he's in, you know, the Minnesota muskie water is different than Wisconsin waters. I mean, we have muskies in lakes that are a hundred acres. You know, we have lakes that, you know, we have them up to whatever. I think the biggest ones are probably six, 7,000 on, on average. Those would be big lakes for us. So yeah, our stuff's mapped pretty well. Some of those small waters though aren't mapped that well, but I mean, if you had to map out a hundred acre lake, it doesn't take too long. Yeah, ours, ours are like trash. I rely super heavily on the auto chart. We'll have like a blue blob in the sand in the middle of a basin. There's a blue blob, I don't know, 200 meters long by 50 meters wide. And it says five on the top of it. Meanwhile, there's 25 feet in there somewhere. You know, there could be 30 feet in there somewhere and three different separate humps that come up to five feet. So it's like impossible to fish it properly with if you want to, you know, get close to structure with deep diving baits, which is essential out here too. Like you want to be, you want your baits as close to bottom as possible, as close as you can possibly get to the shallow structure. If that makes any sense. So mapping out here is like, it's been a game changer for me really. And on Lake Nipissing, you know, I used to hit rocks all the time. <laughs> now, now, well, when I was younger, now I've, I've learned that I'll, I'll go up, put my auto chart on, put my, my trolling motor down with my motor up and just on a sunny day, just cruise around it, map it out perfectly before I even start fishing it. And then, you know, forevermore, I have it mapped perfectly and I can fish it perfect every single time. It's put dozens and dozens of fish in the boat for me, which I wouldn't otherwise catch because I'm nowhere near the structure. If I don't have it mapped out properly, like we used to use icons, I used to like basically crash my units from having so like thousands and thousands and thousands of icons like i'd have an icon for 30 feet an icon for 20 feet an icon for 15 an icon for 10 an icon for six and an icon for for smashing my motor right so on one given structure i might have like 60 70 icons <laughs> whereas now i'm just deleting icons because it's all mapped out perfectly for me like it's an absolute game changer trolling and casting the funny part kyle is ultimately i mean I fished long enough that there was no map cards, right? So I had yeah. different waypoints like you're talking about, and I knew exactly where the structure was and so on and so forth. 
And then the map cards come about. And I, I'm telling you, it's, it's an incredible advantage to spend $100, $125, whatever it is for a map card. And you pretty much have it at your fingertips. But I will tell you this, the importance of auto charting, I mean, I, I can't even explain it to you. Because the auto charting is definitely going to give you the keen advantage to boat control. We always talk about boat control for musky fishing. Auto chart gives you that right away. I mean, once you have that all mapped out with auto charting, that's the big difference. It truly, truly is. Auto chart has changed my world, put it that way. I agree 100%. Although I will say, I, you still need some icons though, because there's the auto chart sometimes isn't quite detailed enough to show you that one little you know, one little rock pile that's the size of your boat or half the size of your boat within the middle of that structure. So I still keep my icons for like, you know, the spot on the spot. But other than that, it's, you know, I, I use uh, the Lorenz auto charting. I find Lorenz is, I haven't used Garmin. I got a Hummingbird as well. And Lorenz mapping compared to Hummingbird is like night and day. Like I can't drive around out here with the Hummingbird map. It's just too, it's not smooth enough for me. Like it, it, there's landmines everywhere out here, especially in the evening. Like I get anxiety thinking about, you know, the last two hours of our fishing day, I'm always in the back of my head. I'm like, now I got to get in. I got I to gotta think about a path to get in. Like I'm always leaving trails in and out from wherever I'm going. And even, even with the trail, it's like, you know, I almost took my motor off this year. Like you got inches in some of these, in some of these, even, even, even with buoys. Like if you miss a buoy by, you know, four feet, your motor's gone. Yeah, if you're coming out here, I, I highly recommend using Lorenz GPS over Hummingbird. Like I said, I haven't used Garmin, but but I use Hummingbird for side scan. It's definitely a little bit better than what Lorenz has, but for me, I, I'd like Lorenz to pick up their game and get, and get that mega because I just, overall, everything else about Lorenz, their interface, the, just the speed of the machine, their auto charting, their sonar, everything just, to me, seems a step above Hummingbird. Unfortunately, because now I got to rewire my boat <laughs> again. Yeah, there's a ton of differences between all three companies, right? I mean, if, if we're freshwater fishermen, we're looking at Lawrence, Hummingbird, and Garmin, and they all kind of have their own specialty, right? So, you know, I was a Lawrence guy forever, flip flopped, and went to Hummingbird. You know, if you think about all of the different details that take place throughout. Each one of them have their niche. You know what I mean? Lawrence owns 2D, in my opinion. You know, you look at uh, side imaging, Hummingbird owns it. That's for sure. Um, the live side, I would say Garmin probably owns it. I haven't yeah. got to see the Mega Live. We'll see where that all comes about. But each one of them have their own niche. And mapping, yeah. I won't argue with you. I mean, Lawrence has a little bit better uh, mapping as far as that goes. But, you know, with Lake Master in the state of Minnesota, throughout Wisconsin, the Midwest, it's hard to beat the auto charting that Hummingbird provides. Yeah, I haven't been down here lakes, but I don't think the structure's anywhere near as uh, dynamic as the stuff we got up here. Like, like I said, I've been fishing for muskies out here for over 25 years and it's just like <laughs> I'm close to hitting rocks at least a couple times a year just because you can't make any mistakes ever but that's part of the fun of it hitting a few rocks here and there isn't bad I, my buddy lives lives on the water at Honey Harbor he's lived, he's lived there like for 15 years and he smoked a rock this year <laughs> took the bottom end off his motor that's a huge key if you plan on coming out to fish Georgian Bay use your trails if you're not sure go slow put your motor up and always, always keep trails in and out from wherever you're going because there's just so many islands and gaps and there's very few channels in, in, in some of these more uh, remote inlets. There's like basically one channel through just a labyrinth of rocks. It's all good fishing area, so you got to kind of make your own pathways as you go. And like I'll save some main pathways from each bay you know, from here to here, I'll name it something. From there to there, I'll name it something. I'll name home, you know, stuff like that. It really helps keep you safe out here. 
All right, Kyle, you kind of teased about a couple of big fish you caught yesterday. Let's talk a little bit about those because, I mean, fish of that quality and that caliber, they don't show up that often, and they especially don't show up, you know, two times in one day. I want you to kind of lay out that story. Yeah, like, it was kind of an epic day. Like like I uh, mentioned earlier, we were froze up out here for almost two weeks. I, I keep my boat available. I keep my boat in my, in my heated garage, so so does my, uh, my good buddy that lives lives on Georgian Bay in Honey Harbor. So we actually took his boat out yesterday, but it was just like all the stars aligned. I had, you know, myself, my buddy Andrew Rachu, JP Bushy, and uh, Matt O'Brien. You know, we're good, we're all good buddies, but because oh, I'm a guide, JP is a guide, Matt's a guide on Nipissing, and Andrew's a tournament fisherman. So it's like, we might get in the boat two times a year together. So this was actually our first opportunity. We're like, the ramps are open. We got Second last day of the season, super calm, uh, sunny day, which is perfect when, when your water is like 35 degrees. And uh, we're just like, yeah, let's let's put the dream team together. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Like we, we didn't have high hopes because like I, I mentioned earlier too, I hadn't caught a fish since uh, early November out here. They just, they vanished. So we actually did an intro to a video and it's like the night before. And it's funny enough, I nine times out of 10, I'm deleting the intro because it doesn't go as planned. But so we had a game plan. We all, we had a brainstorming. We videotaped this, like, this is what we're going to do. We all knew we were going to go just from history. We're like, this is where we caught fish in December when we're able to get out here. We looked at our moon phase. We had a major that ended at 1030. So we're like, I think we got on the water about nine. So we just beelined it to the one spot, small area kind of an end point where fish are wintering. It's, you know, right adjacent to uh, a lot of spawning areas. That's one thing on Georgian Bay. It's just like endless spawning areas. So, yeah, that was our game plan. We went out there and I think it was, we were fishing between 25 and 35 feet of water. And I don't think we were out for more than 15 minutes, I'd say. So the, the, the major ended at like 10, 24. And I think the first fish we caught was at like 10.35, something like that. So basically what, what we were doing, we had two guys at the back, vertical jigging, dragging bait behind the boat. boat was moving uh, 0.5, between 0.3 and 0.5. So Andrew and JP were at the back, dragging baits, bondies and tubes. Matt and I were at the front, bombing baits out in front of the boat and beside the boat and just bouncing them back off bottom. Or, like Matt was using a the bulldog, we actually do a tactic where we put the hook peel uh, tie straps. We remove the hooks from the bottom and put them on the back of the bulldog. So we're literally just dragging it across bottom, but not getting snagged up. We got a lot of zebra muscles here too, so you want to keep those off. off. Having hooks on the bottom, you're, you're always going to get snagged up. Yeah, we came over a, a bump. We came up to, I think, 24 feet. And JP's just like, there's one, and I'm like, I almost couldn't believe it because we'd only been up for 15 minutes. Like, is it a walleye? Because it's, it's a good walleye spot too. And no, sure, it comes up and it's just a balloon. It was only 52 inches long, but at 27 inch girth. So we were just like, oh my God, and completely white, completely white fish. Like, not a mark on it. Almost looked like a dolphin or something. So yeah, we released that. We're just like, in my mind, I wanted to say like, all right, well, let's pack it in. That's all we're getting today because like, I've heard you guys talk about before where you know, you get that fish real early and it kind of jinxes you for the rest of the day. So, but it, the words didn't come out of my mouth. I think I made two casts from the front and I was talking to Andrew and he actually mentioned to me, he's like, didn't you guys get like a 48 pounder out here a couple of years ago? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually we did. And then he sets the hook. I'm like, come on, you know the fish. And this is like, like I said, five minutes after the first one was released. He was using a Bondi. It was like a green bondy and it hit on the drop. He was right on bottom. He was in like 35 feet of water. But we were only maybe 40 or 50 feet from where JP caught his. So he brings it up again. I'm like, is it a walleye? <laughs> I was just like, there's no way we're getting another ski out here. Like Georgian Bay just doesn't give them up that easy. So this thing pops up and I'm like, Oh my God. So it barely fit in the net actually. He's using, he has like one of these old Beckman's nets, nets, so it's not a real big one, but big enough to get this fish in. But So we got it in, and it was just bloated too. So 
anyway, we were all in like shock. We get the, it inhaled the Bondi bait, so there was a bit of surgery there, but we did a good job with that, with using bogey grips and stuff like that. I love that bogey grip for, for getting those deep, deep hooks out. You just, you know, grab the face, pin it against the boat, and its mouth just opens right up. It makes it a lot easier to do surgery that way. So yeah, we get this thing unhooked, and we're just all in awe. He pulls out the net, and it just looks like it's never ending. It measured out at 50, Matt's not, not the funny guy, he's like 53 and, and uh, 15, 16 by 26 and a half. So yeah, we all, it was, it was great because I was running the video and so all four of us got in the photo holding the fish and it just looks like an absolute balloon. So yeah, that, and by the time I stopped the video camera after we, we had released that one, it was 12 minutes and 35 seconds from the point where we started fishing again after releasing the first one. And then, so they were like, out of this massive body of water, these two fish were almost like hanging out like a wolf pack or something. So we got those, and then seven hours later, caught nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I should have said it then, we should go in now, because <laughs> we're not catching anything, anything else. But yeah, we were, we were just on such a high. For, and it was so nice fishing with buddies that you get a chance to get out maybe once a year with, and getting those two epic fish, it was just like unbelievable. So we went in and we finished the uh, the intro that we did prior. We were able to add on to finally, which is which is nice. So that, that's going to be the next Slobland video. So it should be a uh, one of the better ones, I think. Keep your eye out for that. Might might be a couple months or a month or two before I get to it. But I'm not the greatest on videos. I put out like maybe one or two a year, but I try and make them like more like short films. So I, I think guys for whatever reason, like the content I put out, it's more realistic. It's not, you know, it's not uh, scripted in any way, kind of raw, <laughs> which for whatever reason people seem to like, but I heard you're putting out, you're, you're putting out some, uh, some footage, eh, Brad? You're getting into making uh, videos? Well, I've been, I've been doing videos for a long time, but we are starting to put together a bunch of different TV shows, which will be Mayhem's 10,000 cast, and they will be available on KOTV, which is available on any device through Roku TV. So, yeah, I, I'm working on it. I actually was editing before you called. That's been my winter project, if you will. It'll be available sometime in February. Probably the first Saturday in February is when we're going to release. Yeah, I don't. I don't think people understand that haven't done it. How long that editing takes? Like it is a nightmare. It's fun. It's almost addicting. I find once you get into it. But it's like, it's like you you get put into a time machine, and all of a sudden, like five hours goes by, and you're like, what the hell? And you're always tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. But yeah, that's that's cool. Do you have like a camera crew, or, or are you you running GoPros, or what do you? I I do a little bit of both. I I do the the uh, GoPro side as well as my own um, by no means do I feel like we are a true media production company um, it's raw footage right and you know the audio sucks a lot of times the quality probably isn't what it once was as far as you know I had a cameraman years ago when we did the videos I'm doing a lot of that stuff behind the camera I'm a little bit in front of the camera but you know, the, the beauty of it is, I guess, the best way to explain it, Kyle, is that I really, really want that raw footage. And if people like that, great. If they don't, great. Doesn't matter, right? It's all about what really took place and uh, putting that all together and, and showing the, the people that really want to watch it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think I think people really appreciate that that part of it. I think they're looking for, you know, more of a feeling of like they're in the boat. Like this is, you know, I, I get those comments all the time. It's like, it's like I'm watching my buddies fishing, which is cool. Except for my my, I have too much swearing on mine, but <laughs> that's part of real life. It's gonna be a lot of swearing in that video from yesterday. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I still think you guys have one of the coolest intros ever, though. Yeah, a buddy. It's funny. I didn't make that. A buddy of mine I went to high school with. I hadn't talked to him in years and years and years. And he actually moved out to the to the west coast of Canada. So, like, I think he's in BC or something. And he actually uh, contacted me about 
he saw some of my videos. He's like, yeah, man, I could do a cool intro for you. And I just threw, I, we had the logo already and I threw him the logo and he came up with that. I'm like, Oh my God, this is unreal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of stuck. I don't think I'll be changing that anytime soon. I wouldn't. It's pretty killer. Like I mentioned, we have that, we have an online apparel store now too, that we just finally got hooked up. Um, where you can just go and order specific colors of sun shirts or hoodies and then you can get like a solid logo or a full color logo or big patches on hats and stuff like that so it's called uh imprinted apparel store forward slash slobland if anyone wants to check that out but yeah i'm sure you guys are feeling it too with uh covid uh everything is on back order and i'm trying to get shirts and stuff i mentioned we're going to be going down to that ohio show we're going to get a booth there just to uh, try and book some guide dates with you guys down there. And I'm having a hard time getting apparel, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Apparel has sure. been a bit of a struggle this year. That's for sure. Some of our stuff we can get, but it takes months. I mean, stuff where we used to be able to get it in two weeks, three weeks, you know, we, if we went with a new design, we could get the design done and have them in hand in less than a month. And now it, you're lucky to get them in four. Yeah. It's crazy. Yes. I can't believe we're still in there. That'd be toast by like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> um, won't, I won't disagree. Yeah, I won't disagree. I thought for sure, but uh, whatever. We keep keep pounding, right? It hasn't affected our our fishing opportunities, I don't think. For you guys, I'm sure it's been a a bit more of a struggle than us, especially when you rely on you know Americans to come fishing with you. But um, I mean, hopefully, yeah. Like this year, I think. I- I only had one American group this year, and I had taken them out on Lake Nipissing. Uh, they're actually, where are they from? Columbus, Ohio. I'd taken them out on Nipissing a few years ago, and that's the only reason I had a book because everyone was kind of up in the air. No one wanted to pull the trigger from the U.S., so kind of sucked that way. But hopefully things change, and I can get more of you guys up here to check this crazy place out. If it is, if you haven't, like I mentioned before, if you haven't been to Georgian Bay, it's just like, jaw-dropping compared to pretty much every other body of water. <laughs> Before we let you go, one thing we've done on, again, recently on podcasts, we've done it before, is one tip to help people put more fish in the net. You got anything you can offer up? I'd say one of the biggest things that has helped me over the course of a few years is keeping detailed notes. So you always, like, when you catch a fish, you always think in that moment, oh, I'm going to remember, you know, whatever. 48 degrees. I was going this fast. Uh, you know, my lure was this deep. You think in the moment that you're going to remember that, but fast forward six or eight months, and you're back in that moment. You're like, what the hell temperature did I get that fish at? What, you know, which direction was the wind at? What was the, what was the weather at? What was the weather like two days before? You know, what was the moon phase? When was moon rise? Well, stuff like that really adds up as you keep building on it year after year after year. And then like it, it almost becomes like an encyclopedia for you. Just like turn a page. Oh, the water's that degree. It, it at least gives you a base of where to start. Say you haven't been on the water for two weeks or you got, you know, you do a trip somewhere once a year. And if you can, you know, have something to go back to, to try and match up to the conditions that you're in at that moment, it just saves you a ton of time basically helps you eliminate options before you even put a line in the water so i would say that for me out here is, is huge like sometimes you know i'll be like oh i gotta go up to uh i gotta go up to shawana inlet which is about an hour and a half from me when the water temps hit this in in september so i'll be like i know guys up there will be like what are the water temps what are the water temps what are the water temps and then once i get that water temp boom i'm gone if you're not keeping detailed notes on every big fish that you've caught and even failure sometimes, right? Sometimes it's just like, well, I know they're not here in this water temp and that, you know, it's, it's just a puzzle that you got to put together and keeping detailed notes is definitely gives you an advantage over not keeping notes. Other than that, yeah, time on the water, but that's, that's a given, right? Yeah, absolutely. We hear, we hear about that often and I mean, it can't be more true. It is a given. There's no doubt. More time on the water, more success, more opportunities to learn. Definitely. No doubt about that. So Kyle, if somebody's looking to get in touch with you, either to book a trip, check out your YouTube channel. How do they go about doing that? Uh, probably the easiest way is to go to swablandcharters.com. All my details are on there, pricing and stuff like that. 
Um, there's also links in our slobland.flix.com to both myself and Matt O'Brien. Like I mentioned earlier, he, uh, he guides on the upper French that comes out of Lake Nipissing. So he's doing like Lake Nipissing and the French right up till they close November 30th. So he was, he's there till pretty much all year up till November 30th. So you can get both of our information there. Um, yeah, I think a lot of it's on, on Slobland Flicks on YouTube as well. And then, yeah, slobblandflicks.com. You can, there's also links to our, our apparel. Other than that, yeah, you can call me, 905-460-4512, because I'm not on the computer all the time. So sometimes I don't get back on my emails, especially during the fishing season. For, it might take me a couple of days to check my emails, so call me or text me during the season. is probably the easiest way to do it. Sounds good, Kyle. Well, we thank you for coming out and spending some time talking muskies with us. And we want to thank all of our listeners for you know, putting up with us for another episode. And we'll catch everybody again with a new episode next week. Yeah, thanks, boys. Appreciate it.